Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Devin Klein, co-founder of Burn Bootcamp, a group fitness brand with over 250 franchise locations. Devin came from an upbringing where he truly had to support himself. Listen as he shares inspiration towards his fitness aspirations. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Devin Klein of Burn Bootcamp. Devin, thank you so much for joining me today. Listen, Cameron, I'm excited to be here and I love what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Yeah, no, I, I, I had a rough one. Let's put it that way. Mm. Uh, I grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, kind of. Uh, when I was about three years old, my mom picked up and we moved from Michigan to Missouri to Arizona to California to Washington State, back to California, back to Arizona before, you know, around fifth or sixth grade, I ended up uh, back in Michigan. And, you know, my dad is a great guy at heart, but, you know, uh, an abusive alcoholic, mm. um, you know, a great athlete that ended his career early because he got into, you know, substance abuse. And it was, it was, uh, it was tough, you know, like I met my wife Morgan when I was 12. Wow. And, you know, a lot of times when things would go down at the house, you know, it was no stranger to have, you know, the police over every weekend, just, you know, with the domestic violence uh, disputes and things like that. And so I would kind of escape to Morgan's house. It was either the ball field yeah. and, I'd, and I'd make sure I just like, you know, made my escape there or, or to Morgan's house. And, and so, yeah, we met when we were 12 and we've been, that's like my high school sweetheart. It's like puppy love for me. And, <laughs> you know, she's, a, she's always been my rock. So when, uh, when we met at 12, it's like, you know, we went to junior high together. I actually wrote her a letter in eighth grade. I was like, I'm going to marry Morgan Klein, even though she denied me for like two or Morgan Stevens at the time, even though she denied me for like two straight years. Yeah. Um, and that ended up happening. Went through, um, went through high school. Like I said, you know, just with that really toxic home life, trying to stay out of there as much as possible. Uh, great athlete ended up playing, uh, at a high level in baseball, basketball, ended up getting uh, a scholarship to go to Central Michigan University and then fortunate enough to play uh, to play a couple years in, in the minor leagues with the San Francisco Giants. But uh, wow. yeah, that gives me it just gives me a great perspective on on, you know, today, because listen, the problem most people have is they, you know, they quit too early because they've never experienced pain before. And it's like, hey, we're resilient as individuals, as humans. And there's a lot more pain that you can take that you don't think that you can take. And, you know, most often, People quit at the first sign of just a little bit of pain. And it's like, what does it take to be successful? It's like going through pain and waking up and working hard, harder than you did yesterday for, you know, no results or to end up going backwards and treading water like a, a lot of us have experienced over mm. the last two years with the pandemic. Yeah. So I've, I've been kind of conditioned my whole life to, yeah. to take adversity. And so I think that's why I always like to say, my power was the disadvantage that I grew up with. Mm, wow, so much resilience there. I'm curious, we have um, with our upbringings, a motivation or like a push from our ancestor to pursue a different career. With that toxic family background that you mentioned, was there any push to pursue a certain career from your family or was that certainly just yourself? No, it definitely was just me. I mean, uh, you know, my my father always really cared about sports and that was, you know, he was pretty short-sighted. So all he really cared about was like the next game. Mm. And yeah, he wanted me to be successful. I think probably deep down my my mother, who I don't have a relationship with today, um, you know, she left when, uh, you know, we came back to Michigan. Um, 
I had worked like three summers, like with my dad on my uncle's, you know, with a pitchfork on the roofs, just ripping off tar paper mm. and being their gopher for all the electrical jobs, odd and jobs that they would do on the weekend. And I saved up enough money to go to a car auction and buy my own car. I bought a white Pontiac Grand Am with my own money. Wow. And dude, I mean, it's, it's a crazy story, but I went to a baseball tournament. I went to the USSSA World Series in Kissimmee, Florida, and we all drove down. Uh, my mom stayed back. My brother stayed back. My dad actually went with us. And, you know, I came back and my car's gone. My brother's gone and my mom's gone. And oh, wow. my dad has like sugar in his gas tank. So she basically sold my car that I had paid for, for moving money and then took my little brother and jetted and, and left town. So I haven't really had a relationship with her since then. Mm. Um, but I would think that de somewhere down deep in her heart. And I wanted to believe that, you know, she just, she, she wants me to be successful. And I don't think that she's vindictive toward me at all. And from like a mother son relationship, I just think that, you know, you can't take responsibility for a family or for your community until you're willing to take responsibility for yourself. Mm. You know, I always tell people like clean your car before you go out and try to tell people what to do. Yeah. Because, you know, you gotta you gotta be able to lead yourself before you can lead others. And I think my mom got caught in like this vicious trap of of, you know, the party life mm -hmm. and and it ended up, you know, shat like like clouding her vision in a sense, like clouding her judgment and her ability to prioritize in life. Mm. And so yeah, um, yeah, I think they want me to be successful. I know my dad wants me to be successful now. I still have a relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, he's gotten better, but he's, you know, he's still Al Klein. Definitely. So I'm curious, um, if you don't mind, I know this has shaped a lot of who you are today. Um, just more elaboration on this. Um, what was your time like in college? Central Michigan on scholarship, um, a family background that you're really in college alone. No support behind you, really. Um, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up on welfare and, you know, we called it food stamps back in Michigan. Yeah. And so um, I, that was one of the ways that I continued that I was able to play college sports. So in baseball, in baseball, you know, you don't necessarily get a full ride like you do in basketball or you do in football because, you know, the sport doesn't have as much money as those other two sports. And so mm. a lot of the, especially at the mid-major schools, what they're giving out uh, are, you know, uh, you know, partial, partial scholarships. So, I ended up coming in with a 60% and then and worked my way to a 75%. Um, but at the end of the day, that still left me with needing, you know, you know, you have school yeah, and you have baseball. That's a full-time job when you're at the field uh, every day in the fall, you know, for morning workouts and then you go to class all day long and then you got study hall, especially as like freshman, sophomore. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up um, uh, staying on a, what, and then it transitioned to a bridge card in Michigan. So I ended up staying on that because if I didn't, like, I didn't have any money. Like it, there was no other choice for me really. And that's all I knew at the time. Mm. Um, my father ended up going to prison when I was uh, my sophomore year of baseball. Mm. And it was pretty disappointing because that's when I started to play a lot. And, you know, like he wanted to see me be successful. Well, he had this hit and run accident that, you know, he didn't handle very well. And uh, it was, you know, a, an offense that had compounded over time. And mm. they said enough was enough. And he went to Jackson State Penitentiary in Michigan. So mm. uh, I stayed on. And then uh, <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy stuff. Yeah. So I also um, I never said this on a podcast before. No one's really asked me that. <laughs> I also would do I uh, would give plasma. So I would literally every wow. week part of my I'd get 100 bucks every week. I still have the scar. I would go and I would donate plasma. I'd sit there for an hour and 
that was like my discretionary income because and I couldn't with practice in school, I couldn't get necessarily get a job. Uh, I was eating good. I was growing. I was lifting. I was getting heavier. My goal is to make it to the big leagues. I mean, since I was like a little baby boy, I have a picture when I was like three or four years old swinging a bat in the front yard. My dad always wanted to be me, me to be a baseball player. Yeah. You know, he was a, he was the Detroit tiger. He was a super good athlete, McDonald's all American basketball player. Wow. And, uh, had full rides to Xavier and ended up blowing it, you mm. know? And like, so I had like this, you know, carry, carry the torch forward mentality. And for my dad, all he cared about was not all I would say, but most of what he cared about was sports. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, for me, I was always really driven by like the sports metrics and I'd, you know, get a hundred bucks here and there for, you know, scoring over 30 points or throwing a no hitter or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that conditioned me in a sense that conditioned me in a sense to want to take hit what he did and, and do more. Mm. Um, and so I worked my butt off to get to that level. Definitely. Right. Through college, I was the hardest worker in the room. Um, still I'm the hardest worker in the room today, but it changed when I got to the professional ranks. And this is so important. If we have time for you have time for yeah, another story. Of course. So I think it's so important uh, to, to really take this, uh, the following lesson away is that you've never made it mm. right. There's no such thing as making it because when I, uh, after like when I went to college, I was an animal, like there was nothing I wasn't willing to do to get time on that field so that I could ultimately reach the dream of making the big leagues that I had had my entire life. Yeah. So I finally do it. It happens. I go to the Northwoods league, which is uh, like a collegiate baseball league in the, in the Midwest mm -hmm. and have a lights out summer and the Giants sign me on spot. Um, they give me a great package. So, you know, some money that I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you want to give me that to throw a baseball? Okay. I mean, it wasn't like game changing, you know, yeah. for my life, but it was game changing for my life at the time. Of course. And, uh, you know, uh, they paid for my school and to finish up cause I dropped out early to go play ball. Well, you know, in my mind, it was like, I just, I just signed a contract that says San Francisco giants professional organization on the top of it. And I didn't know it at the time, but like in my head, I, you know, I, I must have been saying to myself, man, you made it mm. like you're signing a contract right now with the team that you've been wanting to play for, for your entire life. You made it. And what I start doing from there, I started messing around, mm. screwing around, going out late, not taking it serious. My work ethic went from like, I'm going to be an animal in the gym every day to like, yeah. oh, it's okay to take a day off here and there. Like you made it. I got comfortable. I started relaxing. My temperature went from like burning hot to like room temp. Mm. And for me, it was, uh, for me, it was something I realized when I was about 30 or 31 that I was following in the same footsteps as my dad because he went and got a Detroit Tigers offer and he went and started playing. He started doing the same stuff, mm. right? Screwing yeah. around, partying, not taking it seriously. Um, and so I remember I came home one night, a buddy, we were in Charleston playing the Charleston River Dogs and buddy had a birthday. We went out. It's like a Tuesday, mm. right? Like we're going to the whiskey bar and like we get back and I'll never forget the moment where my, my, my coach, which by the way, the director of San Francisco giants baseball operations was in Charleston to watch us play. And I was dogging everybody. I mean, <laughs> I was playing really well. Yeah. And the coach, um, uh, as we walk in at two fifty three AM and I'm leading the pack, I see coach like staring at me, you know, and like when, 
your parents might be really, really mad at you. Yeah. And they're so mad that they don't say, they don't say anything besides go, yeah. <laughs> you know, like basically what he did. Like, I'm so disappointed with you. Just, just go to your room. Like, you know, that you're not supposed to be messing around. We have a game baseball ops is in town. Mm. You know, you're, you're probably going to play one of the next three games. I was a reliever at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I got released the following season because mm. who wants to, who wants to have some, you know, mid-major college kid come in and, you know, not work hard and, and think they're entitled and think that they've made it and, you know, and then walk around like that. And I yeah. was poisoning my teammates. I was, t- I was, I was a leader naturally. Mm. So I was always taking people out with me and stuff like that. And, you know, I, that's why I say never settle. Mm. Right. And, and, and don't, don't ever think that you've made it because the minute you think you've made it is the minute that you cool down. And the minute that you cool down is the minute you become vulnerable. And the minute you could become vulnerable, especially in business is the minute that someone else is coming up from behind you. They're going to take your job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I always remember that today, like regardless of whatever success that people perceive that we've made, our dreams and goals are much, much bigger than that mm. on purpose. Cause I know if I ever feel like I've reached my goals that I'm going to, my mentality is that I would relax a little bit and I'd always want to be chasing the next level. Definitely. Such a bizarre experience, uh, that transition there. So you have a wake up call from your coach. Where does your mind shift from there? And where do you end up moving and transitioning to? You're, uh, you're off the league by then. Yeah. At the time, my mind was like, ah, whatever coach, like, you know, I'm going to go, co- I'm going to come out and I'm going to, you know, go one, two, three in the nine for you tomorrow. And we're going to call this good. And uh, my mentality wasn't that they were looking at my characters, that they were just looking at my skill. Mm. Um, and then I came back the next season and they released me. I walked into the same director of baseball operations uh, office and he said, Hey, we appreciate you, uh, in your short time here with the giants, but you know, we're releasing you today. So here's your plane ticket, you know, wow. see ya. Wow. And my mindset from that moment was like, it was pretty devastating if I'm honest, because it, what you're running from is more important than what you're running to. Yeah. And what I was running from. Because, and here's why, because what you're running from, you've already experienced and you can feel the pain from that. If you've chosen the right thing to run from based on your past experience, Mm -hmm. you don't quite know what the feeling is of what you're running to or what your vision is or what that's going to feel like when it's manifest. But you already, you already have had manifest a experience in what you're trying to run from. And so for me, those flashbacks and that pain of like, you know, I was flashing back, like back to those nights where I'm like a young 12 year old kid having to be the man of the house you know, getting, you know, getting in fist fights with a grown man and listening to him, you know, getting fist fights with his wives and his women. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I would bury my head under the pillow sometimes, you know, and just, yeah. and, uh, you know, you would flash back to those types of moments, you know, that had a sense of an emotional embossment in my life, like from, a, from my childhood. And you automatically start navigating back to that version of yourself. Mm because there's no exciting version of the future anymore. Yeah. And so if you're not, cha- that's why people, you hear people left and right saying, hey, have a purpose, have a mission, have a vision. Anybody that's gonna give you advice is because that, that excitement, that enthusiasm, that energy that's created from that vision is gonna keep you moving forward. It's gonna keep a positive vision of what you're trying to accomplish rather than uh, snapping back to that negative one. So I didn't realize it in the moment. Mm. To, to, if I'm honest with you, it wasn't until I was 30, 31 where I realized like, hey, dummy, you know, like, don't take for granted the opportunities that you're given just because you desired it. Yeah. You know, like, just because you had a desire doesn't mean that you're entitled to anything. And um, I kept moving forward. You know, I called Morgan. I'm like, Morg, 
She's in Naples, Florida at the time. This is my wife. My mm-hmm. we're basically co-CEOs. Like she's the COO and I'm the CEO. But we we call the shots. We work very very well together. We run. We have a team of eleven uh, senior vice presidents and, and vice presidents that run operations for our, our multiple businesses. And mm-hmm. you know she had always been that rock for me because we had met when we were twelve. So she saw all of these things mm-hmm. growing up. Were you married? Really? Yeah. Were you married in this period as well? Uh, yeah, we got married when we were 26. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, we got married when we were 26. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we were not married at the time when I got released. Okay. No, we weren't. So I moved, So then I got released, uh, d- figured that, like, hey, this woman that has been with me all these years, that was, like, I was dead broke. Like I mentioned, like, she was, pay- she was paying my cell phone bill when I was 20, 21, because if I didn't, if she did it, then she wouldn't be able to talk to me because I couldn't pay it. I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And so I have this now recip- this built-in reciprocity to for Morgan. And that's just one example of all of the things that her and her family did for me as I was going through it. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, like now what drives me more than anything and that purpose I'm talking about is not only a vision for my children and our children that is running far away and hard away from the childhood that I grew up with and trying to give them the exact opposite contrast, Mm -hmm. but to repay Morgan every single day in perpetuity for the things that she did for me because she saved my life. And there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that I'd be in somewhere in a gutter right now because I was a bad kid. I was like me telling you a little story about how I went out like at the, you know, I was a hard worker. Don't get me wrong. I was a leader and I was dedicated to sports. But outside of that, I wasn't supervised very much. Yeah, yeah. And when you don't have money and you're not supervised and you come from where I come from, you know, you end up <laughs> getting into some 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 things I'd rather not revisit. But definitely. Um yeah, my mindset was like keep moving, you know, like what are you gonna do next? And I really looked to Morgan for that. And we decided that, hey, my baseball days were done mm. and that I wasn't passionate about it anymore. And she helped me find my my true passion. Mm. If you can further elaborate on that passion that you uh, you find with Morgan, and I know that turns into Burn Boot Camp as we know today, um, where does this inspiration come to start uh, promoting and uh, teaching fitness? Yes, it started it really in college and in professional baseball where I would travel and stay with host families. Mm-hmm. And I never knew it in the moment. You don't really know these things. You know, you're a young 20-something, like a late teenager. I'm not thinking about the future. All I'm yeah. thinking about is – you know, where am I going to eat next? And did I, you know, what was my ERA today? And is that good enough to make it to the next level? Right. Yeah. So, you know, and retroactively, you, you're retrospectively, rather, you're looking back and saying, all right, you know, what was, the, what was the set of circumstances that really led to this? And in reflection, it was definitely a hundred percent correlated with my, me visiting host families. Cause I explained a little bit about my family growing up and listen, yo, I've always thought this was normal. Mm. You know, I knew no other exposure. Right. I just thought it was normal to come from the life that I came from because some of the friends that I was hanging around, especially early on when I got in high school, I got in a better crowd. But early on, I was hanging around, you know, families that were similar. And so I always thought mm. it was kind of normal until I got out into the real world and realized that the host families that I'm staying with um, have always been a very emotionally intelligent, self-aware person, self-aware, my, my own my own thoughts, my own feelings, but also you know, to those around me and really empathetic just naturally. Mm-hmm. And so I felt this reciprocity to kind of repay my host families for taking me in. Like I mentioned, like I was doing my own laundry, setting my own, alar- own alarms, making my own food at 12 wow. years old, you know? So it's like getting to a family where they're doing all that stuff for you. I'm like, okay, this is what it's about. <laughs> and then, you know, you, 
I wasn't necessarily um, a technically naturally skilled and talented athlete. It was more, it was more of some good natural raw skills layered on uh, really disciplined hard work. Mm. I gained 30 pounds of muscle from the time I was a sophomore in high school to the, my freshman year, uh, sophomore year of college, wow. which gave me a lot of velocity behind my ball. And I worked for every ounce of that, right? Yeah. And I'm thankful for the government programs because I wouldn't have been able to get the calories and the nutrition that I needed to be an athlete at a high level if it wasn't for that. Mm. Um, so the so the uh, the uh, the host family situation ended up being the spark of inspiration that I needed because inside of those host families I mentioned you know I was kind of aware of my surroundings I felt the reciprocity to give back to them and the only way I knew how to do that was to um, help them out and so I'd show especially if a family that I was with in uh, Wyoming when I played some college ball out there is my favorite time they stuck they stuck her name was the the Holt family shout out the Holt family Nicole the Hope. <laughs> Uh, they shot. They shoved like uh, six baseball players in their, you know, beautiful but tiny twelve hundred square foot house uh, with like three kids and newborn baby. They were baseball fanatics. They loved the Fort Laramie Colts, which was the summer team. Wow. And um, you know, I would run to the weight room every day, and then I'd run back, and then I'd you know eat my breakfast and do my thing. And oftentimes, I would even run to the field, and it was just like a half mile or a mile away. Mm-hmm. And she was inspired by it, and you know. Instead of like, I need to eat egg whites, I need to eat oatmeal, I need to eat good nutritious food that could uh, help me uh, take advantage of my workouts and gain lean muscle mass to get velocity behind the ball. Well, I needed to teach them how to like how fruity pebbles and cocoa krispies weren't going to help me. And then so through that natural process of educating them, you know, and then starting to work out with Nicole and, um, really started to transform her life. You got to see transformations with some of my host families mm. over the summer, at least inspiration at the very least. Yeah. And then looking back on it, it's like, wow, what lights me up besides throwing a white ball across green grass? Well, helping people realize their potential and how inner and how much energy they could have. That's a close second because uh, especially the whole family, like they started off you know, like, you know, the beginning of the summer, you know, a little tentious, a little, a little irritated, a little annoyed um, with each other, you know, a little annoyed in the household. Yeah. By the end of the summer, different mentality. I was like, aha, changing the body changes the mind. Mm. It's not the other way around. You don't think about push-ups and they happen. Yeah. Right. You do the push-ups and then the confidence happens as a byproduct of the physical fitness. Mm. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to your question. Um, that is where the original source of inspiration came from yeah and then you let it grow right and we let it grow we let it grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and now you know from 2015 when we launched our franchise model and we had you know maybe five hundred thousand dollars of revenue we're chasing down 200 million this year it's amazing and and uh it's a really good feeling and i get to do it with who i love um you know our family owns the company we're we're I'm proud of that. Yeah. You know, like I'm not ever taking like outside money off the table or outside equity or interest off the table, especially public interest. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like if we can get this far and we and it's our baby and there's no one else helping us call the shots. Mm. The only downside to that is we don't have experience. Yeah. Right. So Morgan and I are constantly banging the phones. We're constantly calling people who know more than we do. Um, what we have to add is we can help 
these, we can help people who have a lot of business experience much more than us. We can help them maximize that with their health and their fitness and some easy principles mm. that we've been able to use that can help them incorporate fitness into an already busy go-getter, high-driven lifestyle. Definitely. And what I found early on is like, hey, you always have a value to give. And you, with that value, if it's enough value, you can get a hold and you can talk to anyone that you need to talk to because they will want something that you have as well. Mm. And to me, that's what a mentorship is, is when you have two people that both have something that each other wants uh, that can collaborate and, and conspire in a way to help each other get to that next level. So everyone's my mentor yeah. in a sense. And that's how I'm getting all the information for me to be able to scale up a global franchise development game plan um, and you know get to 500 uh, units in the United States awarded domestically. We just opened our 332nd uh, in South Sarasota, Florida wow. on Sunday or this week. So Amazing. It's, it's crazy. We're like, what, seven years in now of, uh, we just had our 10 year anniversary since the LLC was born before wow. we even ran a camp, which was last week. And I always tell people, it's so incredible what you can do in a decade. So, uh, you know, um, I would uh, I would continue uh, to say overestimate what you can do in a year mm. and and continue to set your goals higher than you think is feasible and attainable. And if you shoot for the cloud, you fall on the ground. But if you shoot for the stars, you fall on the clouds. And so every time you over aim mm. and you over aim, it's OK if you don't get to your goals. You don't need to know how to get to your goals. And it's not even about the arbitrary goal in the first place. Mm. It's about the pursuit uh, and the activity that you would have to align to in order to be a person who reaches that goal. Yeah. Even if you fall a little bit short, but the character drive that you get and that you have and the personality you have to acquire is different. You have to become a whole new person. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're setting our goals high. We're going to continue to set them high. Our 10 year visions to the moon, uh, which who the hell knows where we're going to be in 10 years. I didn't think we'd be here 10 years ago. So yeah. not going to waste any time on that. Just to the moon. Like, <laughs> dream big enough to fit all the dreams of everyone in our organization inside of that dream. And I think that's a good way to set a 10-year vision. Mm. But I know my three-year vision, and I'm hawking that down. And I'm trying to – I have 50 – here's one little point. I know I'm going crazy oh, right now. Perfect. but um, One little thing that I like to do that might be helpful for those of you guys starting out there would be to take your three-year vision – you have like your one year game plan. Yeah. Right. And you know, the KPIs that you need to be hitting. Like if you don't know KPIs and you're in business, then you're in the wrong business because exactly. the business of business is the language in the scorecard, which is finance and accounting, which you need to understand if you're going to start a business. Yeah. So your KPIs in year one, you're tracking those, right. And you're tracking those with strategy and you're numerically quantitatively getting to those numbers. Well, in your three-year plan, that's like your strategy, right? Mm. So in my three-year plan, I have I call it um, the next 15 moves. I read a book once that said, hey, the best chess players in the world, they're 15 moves ahead. Yeah. Good ones are 10 moves ahead. Normal, everyday, average Joes in your park are five moves ahead. And I thought that was pretty profound. Mm -hmm. And so I took that initially and said, okay, what's my next three years look like? I'm going to map out specifically exactly what I'm going to accomplish and the day that I'm going to accomplish it. Mm. And then there's one last rule. Then you work to um, the first thing first, the first point first, and you get that done as fast as you can, mm. right? Even if it's before your date. And then the next thing as fast as you can. And the next one, and, and that's guiding my everyday outcomes, my every week outcomes. Yeah. Those are my rocks. And then, you know, obviously all the pebbles are filling in the rest of uh, the rest of my time, but that's exactly it, right? That, that three-year plan for you, 
It doesn't necessarily need to always come to fruition, but you you have to set a three-year vision for yourself and it's got to be concrete mm. because you're going to end up somewhere. Yeah. And you do not want to end up in a place that you didn't design. So you got to design the blueprint if you're going to then want to build the home to the specs, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. Incredible. I'm curious then, when you're expanding into other franchises, um, what do you look for in a franchisee or franchiser um, when building that new location? I'm curious from your point of view. I look for I look for them to already be walking, talking, acting, and behaving like they're already doing the job. Yeah. Are they working out every day? Are they already um, you know Are they already committed to this? Like one thing I one thing that I'm looking for that I don't like is if somebody's shopping other brands, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah. If you're going to try to compare us to like an orange theory or like a, or, you know, you want to open a CrossFit box or, you know, you're going to compare us to like an F 45. I'm not interested in you because that to me is showing lack of commitment and dedication. Mm. And when you're in a relationship business, your dedication to the brand is much more important than it is when you're in just a product business. Definitely. At least from my, in my opinion, and not, that's not, a hundred percent the case in every scenario, obviously, but generally speaking, mm -hmm. you know, you're working and interacting and creating relationships with people and you have to have, you have to have been influenced by the brand yourself mm. in order for you to transfer that experience to make other people feel that way. Definitely. And so 95% of our franchise partners, they were members first and literally, dude, I've had literal, I've had institutional investors come to me who own other giant brands mm -hmm. like uh, in our space in fitness franchising and offered to buy like the, uh, let's say, call it master rights to states at a time uh, for big checks at a time when we were reinvesting every dollar we had into the business and those big checks were really intriguing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, like I hope you, you guys out there get the passion and the dedication, and the discipline on your brand and the belief in yourself that you can say no mm. when something looks so good. Because if I would have sold my soul back then, I, we, we would not be here today. Yeah. I guarantee that because the fabric of the brand being so small uh, back when this happened in 17, 18, um, the, you know, the fabric of the brand would have completely shifted. The reason we are who we are is because we do what we love with who we love Mm. And those people who we love are also doing what they love. Definitely. And every, and, and it's the passion that's driving it now. Right. Um, I'll pull a, a Howard Schultz metaphor. Like you got to walk the tightrope of culture versus profit. Mm. You can't have people in your organization that are only rah, rah, rah. And they're, and they're cheerleading and they're excited and they're motivated, but they don't know the business, the language of business. Like we talked about, right. Yeah. They're going to fall off the tightrope on the way to get to the next goal. And they're going to, they're going to get killed like most businesses do. And that's a big downfall. Right. But then the other side of that is if you're only looking at profit, and you're sterile and rigid and cold hearted and you have no empathy, well then nobody's going to want to do business with you and interact with you. So there's Definitely. this, there's this tightrope that we all walk as entrepreneurs of profit versus culture. And there's some decisions that you're going to have to make for profit mm. and absolutely 100%. Like profit is arguably more important because you can't build the culture without the doors being open in a sense, right? Yeah. Metaphorically. So if, you don't have a bottom line. You don't have margin. Like, what do you cheerlead? What do you, you know, what are you rooting forward? What's all that excitement and, 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 and energy pouring into? But then if you don't have that culture, right? It's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to have any margin because no one wants to deal with you. So yeah. if 
I think the last point to that is the deposits, especially in a large brand, we have 4,500 uh, people. Wow. Well, describe as you know employees uh, staff team members whatever way you want to language it we call them our people yeah franchise partners their teams hq our hq gyms um you know we uh we we, we look at we look at we look at profit uh, and culture as if you would make a decision for profit mm. because sometimes you have to that you need 10x the amount of deposits on the culture side in order to offset something that might be completely profit driven right yeah. so the, the equitable balance is not like the balance is not there in profit versus culture you got to pour into the culture a lot more than you're going to have to pour into these to the profit side but nonetheless a tightrope and you know we're walking that constantly today mm. and yeah um a credit Howard Schultz, my, one of my heroes for that, because he's the person that really told me, he really taught me that a kid, he's, he's from the Bronx, right? Yeah. He's from probably, he's from like, uh, like the projects. Like I grew up across the street from the projects. You know, his dad, you know, broke his legs, you know, when he was delivering diapers as a low end diaper delivery guy in the seventies where he didn't get workers comp and he watched his dad's American dream slip away from him. I watched my dad's sports dreams slip away mm. from him for things that were under his control. And you know, I was always, I've always been inspired by Howard Schultz. So I want to give credit where credit's due, but I love that metaphor because it's so true. And if entrepreneurs understood the, the tightrope, um, they would be able to navigate success and, and then the empathy required to be successful and to have influence and have people follow you, I think, more accurately. Mm, amazing. So as we wrap things up, uh, your journey with resilience from the upbringing you came from and to today, such amazing growth. It's super impressive. I'm curious, what does the day-to-day -day look like for Devin Klein, for yourself as CEO of the HQ? Yeah, I don't need an alarm, that's for sure. I'm excited every day. I'm getting up early. I'm up in the 4 a.m. hour. Um, I, my, I, I do have an alarm <laughs> I, as a backup. Yeah. <laughs> but I usually wake up before it and, you know, in the 4 a.m. hour sometimes, it goes off at 5. Um, and I'm usually in the gym by 5.30, in our, whether I'm on, the, I'm on the road a lot. So mm. I'm either at a, at a gym on the road or I'm here at our flagship at Lake Norman, just here north of Charlotte. Um, I'll go back home. I'll see my kids off to school real quick. And, uh, you know, Morgan really tries to give me that morning space uh, to get my get my head right and to really do, do my job to lead the family mm -hmm. and lead myself first, right? And so then we'll, you know, she's right on the other side of this wall here and we come to the office or we're either in the gym or working with a franchise partner in some type of training or some type of site visit. And we're hammering it out all day long, mm. you know, 7, 30, 8 a.m. to uh, definitely 6 p.m. when I'm home. Um, if I'm not home, I'm going straight through the night until I fall asleep yeah. uh, around 11. But when I'm home, we 6 to 8 o'clock for her and I both non-negotiable. You know, that's our family time. Yeah. Uh, we're super engaged. Things, we don't have our phones with us. We don't have our email with us. We're fully engaged in play and activity and interests of our children. We sit down and we try to have family dinner as much as possible. And when the kids go back to bed, which we, we divide and conquer 50, 50, <laughs> uh, they go to bed and her and I are, she's right back on the computer. Um, I'm right back on uh, writing or whatever it is that I like. I like to do creative things at night Yeah. and she likes to catch up from the day and then we'll connect with each other if need be. And then, you know, we try to shut it down with some personal time for like the last half an hour of the night before we fall asleep. And mm. so, do we always get it? No. Is it always perfect? No, but we hold each other accountable to that. And, you know, we definitely put our relationship and our family uh, time, um, you know, in, 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 in just as, just as much 
importance as we do our business mm. and the responsibility we have for our community and uh, our our families that are members or our people. Mm, amazing. Well, Devin, thank you so much for taking the time. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Burn Bootcamp at burnbootcamp.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.